That'll be a fun test sound for me. Just go. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Michigan Murders. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. So, I feel like I should address the elephant in the room right away and just say, yes, we've been gone for a while. Quite a while. Well, yeah. Family stuff. Our grandma got sick and then passed away. So we've, we just took some time off. Man, I don't know what else to call it. Just <laughs> much needed time off. Like a mental health reset. Right. Because no matter how much I like researching and learning about stuff and maybe reading about some murder, I, j I didn't feel like it when all that was going on honestly it was like the last thing yeah. i wanted to do so ditto but now we're back <laughs> this is the way you said and we're back and ladies we're back. and gentlemen with murder let's talk about murders and actually if i remember right i think i'm first yes i as far as i remember that's a guess, because it's been so long. <laughs> I'm guessing the same, because I was thinking that before I jumped on the computer to do this. Yeah. I was thinking it was you. <laughs> like, months it's been. And I changed my setup. Um, I have my little nest going on. I'm recording from bed, and it's kind of nice. <laughs> I did this for our other podcast, <laughs> and I was like, ooh, I'm going to continue this where I can. Because one, it's on the opposite end of the house. So I don't have to worry about noise. I will say that this chair is a lot squeakier than my other chair. So that should be fun. And I'm sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> At any time we're speaking, if you just hear like, a it's just Stephanie's chair. It's this squeaky chair. I need to get a new one for this room. Mine is much better in my office. Like, noise-wise, every every time I shift even a little bit, it sounds like I'm having an issue when I'm not. It's hard to be a good office chair, that's for sure. That's what I learned when I, I got my new one yeah. in my office and I got a lazy boy and I was like, oh man, I just deprived myself for so long. Yeah, definitely. So today... Yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, the almost serial killer that was in the Upper Peninsula in the early 90s. Ooh. I did not know about this and was completely shocked. David Allen Goodrow was born November 19th, 1955. He was an honor student who excelled in basketball and golf and graduated from Houghton High School in 1973. He went on to attend Michigan Technological University, where he got a bachelor's degree in forestry. I mean, that's a weird choice for there, but okay. I just think of Michigan Tech, like technology <laughs> and forestry. I, I didn't see them correlating. Right. Uh, <laughs> after graduation, he married and left the area. He had jobs in Aurora, Illinois and downstate Michigan before returning to the Upper Peninsula. And they just kept pointing out in everything I could find on him of how he was a family man who never drank or smoked. And he helped raise two children, regularly attended church at Cavalry, or Calvary Baptist Church, and he played softball in the church league. He was a federal employee working for the Social Security Administration However, Goodrow had a dark side that would eventually show in, like, the craziest way. So, on June 25th, 1991, a decomposing female body was found in the Portage Canal by a fisherman. It was found that her body had been floating in the water for 15 days, and after the Coast Guard recovered her body, she was identified as 20-year-old Kathy Nancurvis. She was a Lance resident, a mother of two, and she had cerebral palsy. Kathy was on the smaller side and was 5 feet 2 inches tall and weighed approximately 115 pounds. 
Uh, it was later found she was the client of Godreau's, and he abducted Kathy from her home on June 12th, 1991, after peeking through her window and seeing her sleeping naked on a couch. He entered her house and bound her with duct tape, then took her to the Lily Pond area of the Portage Canal. Godreau raped her before he drowned her, but her body resurfaced, so he took her out of the water and repeatedly stabbed her, thinking that a release of air in her body would allow her to sink. Oh my gosh. Right? Like, not enough... Yeah, I don't know. Not enough that he raped her and murdered her, but also, like, let me stab your body so you don't float. Uh, Right. (laughs) Yeah. But... Uh, He messed that up, too, because he didn't puncture her stomach, and the gases that it contained later raised her to the surface. That's why, two weeks later, the fisherman discovered her body floating in the canal. When Kathy was reported missing by her family, authorities were not sure if it was going to be a a missing persons case, a homicide, or a suicide. Friends reported that Kathy was recently depressed. She had two children, little social life, as well as cerebral palsy, which caused slurred speech and other disabilities. The discovery of her body, however, made it clear to police what happened to Kathy. On January 21st, 1992, just seven months after the Kathy and Incurvist murder, Goudreau struck again. Jody Watts was a student at Michigan Tech's campus. The former high school track star was studying biology at the university where her father was an administrator. While jogging in the late night hours on a cold winter evening, Goodrill grabbed Jody near the Houghton Municipal Parking Garage on Sheldon Avenue. He hauled her further into the garage where he raped and repeatedly stabbed her. Goodrill suspected that she recognized him and he knew that he would have to kill her to avoid being caught. Though Goodyear had some fucking audacity because the murder took place within 100 feet of the police station. Fucking wow, man. It was right there. And her body was found that morning. Uh, As this was the second murder in the area within the seven month period, it sent shockwaves to the community. Women in the area started locking their doors. Michigan Tech took quick action in the wake and the university president authorized campus police to carry firearms feeling it was necessary in order to provide extra security on campus. The community was also on high alert and the local Kiwanis club offered a $10,000 reward. Can you imagine early 90s? This was like just imagine a time before cell phones before high speed internet uh, kind of a smaller community, like even around here, a lot of the times people don't lock their doors unless they live in town, in a more of a city setting. And at the same time, you may not lock your door until night. So we're gonna circle back to that because I've got a story about something that ha- happened with Grandma and Grandpa and Jim. But I'm gonna wait until your oh your story's yes. done. Yes, after I'm done, definitely you have to. Pastor of the Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Chris Hamner, said about Jody, she was a good person, bubbly, smiling, didn't let things get her down. At the time, Kathy and Jody's murders were the first in the county in over 25 years. So imagine going from nothing to suddenly two women have been raped and murdered in the community within right. seven months. With few clues and the case going unsolved for longer than the local police liked, this is what I really appreciate. The FBI was called in to assist in solving the murders. I always appreciate when a community (laughs) does that. So if they're like, hey, we're not solving this. I appreciate, you know, another authority being called in to help. That, That gatekeeping thing never goes over well when you're looking to solve a murder. Right. Like others, the FBI profiler believed the murders might be related. That is because it would be unlikely you would find two murderers killing at the same time in a sparsely populated area. They also said the perpetrator was most likely strong, hated women, and was a local resident. 
Over 500 leads in a 30-state area were followed, but nothing led to a break in the case. That was until June 24, 1993, when a Hancock woman reported a break-in at her apartment at 2.30 a.m. Police responded quickly and found social worker David Godron near the apartment. He was arrested and, to the surprise of investigators, confessed to the murders of Kathy Nankervis and Jody Watts. At the time, Goodrow's wife and children were at a Bible study camp. <laughs> but he just gives up that information, like... Could you imagine how long this could have gone on for at that time? If he wasn't like, oh yeah, hey. Uh, yeah, that was me. Uh, oh, by the way, that was me. <laughs> and he, he stayed near the apartment. He was like, were you gonna go try and finish what you started like why were you still hanging around the area it it doesn't make sense to me why he stayed there and while his family was at church a bible study camp <laughs> yeah it's like what what i mean i'm glad i'm glad he confessed and said he did that right but like what the hell goodrow hired attorney mark Wistie from marquette however having already confessed there wasn't much that could be done as far as defense. Obviously, <laughs> he already kind of gave right. himself up there. Um, so, of course, they tried for the good old insanity defense. But the exam done by the state didn't help, and he was declared competent to stand trial. The defense had a second exam done, and that said the opposite. So a third was done, and again, he was said to be fit for trial. Douglas Edwards, the prosecutor at the time, said, We had a beautiful confession. There was no chance of acquittal. The man claims to be religious, and he thought pleading guilty was the right thing to do. During his bench trial, Goodrow described the murders, seeming indifferent. After being asked by the judge if he had reflected on the charges, Goodrow said, I felt I was influenced by satanic forces at the time of the crimes. <laughs> Seriously, dude. Why, why is that so many people's defense? Like, uh, uh, Satan made me do it. Okay. Yeah, that <laughs> two things that you just mentioned actually happens in my story, too. Oh, really? For today. Jesus. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Make it stop. Jesus, Jesus, what's going on with these people? And <laughs> sorry about my cat. She is playing in plastic bags and chooses this moment right behind me. <laughs> to do well, of this. course. <laughs> All right, where was I? I'm trying to read over my microphone. It's fun. Goudreau's co-workers and wife were shocked. At the time of his arrest, his wife said, I knew he had been arrested, but that's not Dave. I guess that's why they point out like, he had a good job. He had a wife and kids. He went to church. He was like church baseball league or whatever it was. And completely shocked by, oh, yeah, this guy murders in his free time. He's psycho. Apparently. Yeah. Right. So Goodrow pled guilty to two counts of homicide, murder in the first degree, premeditated, and was sentenced to life in prison on January 28th, 1994. Goudreau is currently serving in the Saginaw Correctional Facility. So uh, that was from Michigan's UP. It's a wiki. <laughs> That's where <laughs> I found some of that. Um, the Michigan Department of Corrections website and Murder in Michigan's Upper Peninsula by Sunny Longtime. So what is the story about grandmas? and? <laughs> well, what happened was this was years ago and back then you know where jim and grandma and grandpa and everybody lived like it's in the middle of nowhere yeah and so who's gonna go there so doors were left open like unlocked yeah from this day forward they had consciously locked their doors every single day since because one morning grandpa woke up and he went out to the motorhome. Of course, they're not locking the motorhome because they don't even lock their door. Like, what's the point? Yeah. 
Nobody, who's going to go out there? So he walks into the motorhome and he sees this big lump on the couch underneath the blanket. And he thinks, well, what in Sam Hell did Bert put on the couch? He thought grandma had put something on there and just threw a blanket on it. Yeah. He pulled back the blanket and almost had a heart attack. He like almost fell over. He like jumped and immediately ran out of the motor home and ran into the house. Yeah. Freaking out. There was a man passed out asleep on the couch in their motor home. And he ran inside, told Jim, and we all know Jim has a hard time, but he grabbed a gun and he ran, booked it to the motorhome. <laughs> How this man ran fast or walked quickly, we may never know, but he got out there quickly with his gun. And by then, I guess the guy was sitting by the table with his feet underneath the table across this from what i heard what i remember at least i could be butchering it but he had his feet on the other bench across from on the table and jim walked in and like cocked the gun and was like feet off the furniture and the guy was like oh yes sir and he basically held him there (laughs) until the police showed up and it turned out the guy had gotten wasted at the beach Miles away. What? Miles. Yeah, I was gonna say because it's not exactly near the beach. In their backyard, farmland. It's farmland through there. How the heck does he go from the beach? Yes, it's West Michigan. Right. Yes, it's West Michigan, but it's gonna be miles, a few miles before you get to the beach. Yeah, like three, four miles at least. Yeah, he walked. From the beach, drunk, and I guess his feet hurt, and he thought, this is a great place to lay down for the night, and woke up with a gun in his face. Like, what are you doing on my property? So, from that day forward, they, I wonder uh, when that was. they made sure. I remember waking up one morning and being told this, and I mean, this is when we lived two miles away from them. And so my mom and I are sitting in our living room like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, um, no thanks. And we lived like just a few miles down from the jail. And so if there, when there was a breakout, we'd all get notifications. Grandpa had like a CB radio police scanner, whatever it was. Jim had one. Oh, yeah. Grandpa had one on something. We heard about. A, a breakout we would lock everything up and sit inside and hope nobody showed up <laughs> but we're in the middle of nowhere otherwise nothing happens yeah from that that day forward they kept their doors locked that's crazy it was something that we were just like we don't need to lock them out here because <laughs> i remember when i was younger it was a tree farm around their house yeah this was when it was still a tree farm. Yeah, there's there's nothing. There's a, a main well, there's a main road about what quarter mile mm-hmm. from them. And it's I tree I farm. had to have been in high school or after. It was either like while I was in high school or shortly after. That's insane. Because I got married at twenty three and I was like old enough to understand like what's going on. Like this is nuts. Yeah, I just thought that was like when you were saying, no, nobody locks doors. I'm like, let's circle back to that. We do now. We we do now. Well, I mean, I, I live in the middle of nowhere, but we also have our doors locked all the time. Mm-hmm. We didn't used to. Yeah. It used to be people could just walk in, but then we put one of those... Uh, the electronic door locks with the number keys you can type the code in and just walk in mm-hmm. so the people that need it have the code and we can just keep it locked and not have to worry about it right which makes me feel better usually especially since it's mostly just yeah. me and my kid at home when my husband's at work so it's like okay some protection 
especially at night is good. <laughs> right. Like I said, my story, uh, my case has a few similarities to yours. Multiple deaths. Blaming it on Satan or a devil or an app in this case. And the devil. <laughs> it's it's something else. Um, this is a uh, case of Jason Brian Dalton, who was born June 22nd, 1970. Dalton was identified by police as the suspect in the 2016 Kalamazoo mass shootings. Now, I remember when this was all over the news. I watched all of it. Huh. Well, yeah, that was closer to you than me. Somehow, I don't remember this. <laughs> I don't know how I don't right. remember this, but I don't. I mean, I was reading all about it online and watching it all there because 2016, I was living in Mississippi at the time. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, but I remembered... Everything all over Facebook, all the articles, all the videos. Police detained Dalton on February 21st at around 1240 a.m. without incident. After pulling over his vehicle, a black Chevy HHR that matched the description of the getaway vehicle in the shootings. After his arrest, Dalton confessed to committing the shootings. He blamed his actions on his Uber app, claiming that its symbol resembled that of the Order of the Eastern Star and that it took over his body during the events after he pressed the button of a new app resembling the devil when it abruptly popped up. He later said that he was no longer having these problems. So, so Uber Uber's the devil? Is what he was trying to say? Apparently. <laughs> okay. He later said that he was no longer having these problems. And police stated that he had no uh, known criminal history or mental health record. Dalton was raised in Greenfield, Indiana, and went to middle school and high school in Charlottesville. He attended Comstock High School in Kalamazoo and graduated in 1989. He then attended Kalamazoo Valley Community College and graduated in December of 1992 with an associate degree in law enforcement. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> though he didn't enroll in the school's police academy program. Dalton married his wife, Carol, in 1995, and the couple had two children together, aged 10 and 15 at the time of the murders. Carol Dalton filed for divorce the week after the killings. Go figure. <coughs> like, yeah. I mean, good. <laughs> I'm good for her. I'm glad she wasn't like, oh, I have to stand by my husband. F that. He's a psycho. I mean, listening to this story, though, she could have done more. Uh, she knew something was up. She could have she could have done something. But some people. Dalton was generally described as a nice guy and a good family man. <laughs> yeah, there's See, a similarity. <laughs> it's, it's a, though it was reported that he had been depressed in the days before the shootings. Neighbors stated that Dalton had been acting paranoid right before the shootings. And according to an old friend, Dalton had tried to find a job as a police officer in Michigan or in other nearby states, but was unable to and had no interest in moving far away to find that police job. Instead, he studied auto body work at Wyotech in Laramie, Wyoming, and found work at a BMW office in New Jersey. So, explain this. You don't want to go too far for a police job. But you want to go be a mechanic in Jersey? Yeah. Something isn't computing. But, but <laughs> like, kind of hopping all over there with states. Exactly. Dalton was then able to get jobs as a mechanic and then ins an insurance adjuster. Dalton worked as an Uber driver during the two weeks prior to the killing spree and even took fares between the shootings. Bet between the shootings? Correct. And people in his car. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It gets even weirder. An Uber representative stated that Dalton had passed company background checks. A former co-worker of Dalton's at the insurance company remembered seeing Dalton yell at a customer over the phone 
slam the phone down, and pace around the desk angrily afterwards. And Dalton had been previously counseled about his professionalism towards customers. In an interview, another customer mentioned an encounter with Dalton in which she called him back over to reassess a vehicle for damage that Dalton missed in his evaluation. He described Dalton as unprofessional and prone to anger. So going back. <laughs> yeah. Where is this nice guy and good family man? Yeah, nice guy, all I'm good family is, man. But, would, but unprofessional and prone to anger. Would flip out at people. Yeah. I don't imagine the home life would be that great then with that guy. No, definitely not, in my opinion. In the week before the shootings, Dalton had been questioned by deputies in the Calhoun County Sheriff's Office, who were investigating a, seri a series of shootings along Interstate 94 and Interstate 69. Even though Dalton traveled in the area where the shootings occurred and had been the insurance adjuster for a damaged sheriff patrol vehicle, he was cleared of any involvement. So now I'm wondering if he really was involved. Because this was just weeks prior. Yeah. Hours before the shootings, Jason Dalton went to three different gun stores with a friend. At one of them, he had t obtained a black jacket with pockets designed to hide a handgun. Though the store owner said Dalton was in good spirits during the visit, the friend who was with Dalton said that he was a little more quiet than normal. Dalton had an, was an occasional customer at the same store, but never bought a firearm there. Shortly after 4 p.m. on February 20th, 2016, Matt Mellon requested an Uber pickup to drive him over to a friend's house. He was picked up at 421 by Dalton, who was driving a silver Chevy Equinox. Now, why you gotta drive my dream car? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> During the drive, Dalton received a call, and after finishing, he reportedly started driving crazy. At one point, he entered into an oncoming traffic lane, drove through a median strip, ignored a stop sign, and sideswiped a Ford Taurus. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All while, he ignored Mellon's pleas to stop. When Dalton stopped at a stop sign, Mellon jumped out and called 911. He gave the dispatcher information about the Equinox, including its license plate number, and the dispatcher put out a be-on-the-lookout notification on the vehicle. Well, yeah, he's, he's got all the info on the Uber app where he can say who's driving you, what their license plate number is, what the vehicle looks like. He's got it all. Yeah. There were many calls to 911 by others before the shootings took place, all of which were ignored. Uh, what now? So... <laughs> There's so many instances where this could have, like, turned out very differently. Yeah, how busy were the police at that time? Jesus. What is Kalamazoo? Right. <laughs> I was just about to say, well, you know. Yeah, it is Kalamazoo. At 4.34 p.m., Dalton returned home and then called his wife 40 mo 41 minutes later, asking her for the keys to their Chevy HHR. They agreed to meet at his parents' house about 10 miles away. And on the way, Dalton accepted another pickup request at 5.15 p.m. from a woman who wanted him to pick up her boyfriend at a Richmond Township apartment complex. The shootings began around 5.42 p.m. when a woman was shot repeatedly in a parking lot of that apartment complex. Oh, jeez. Thankfully, she survived her injuries. Oh, that's good. Accord yeah, many people were shot. According to the woman, she was approached by a man in a vehicle that had a German Shepherd-type dog in the back. The driver asked her if she was another person. When she replied that she was not, the man turned his car around and fired repeatedly at her. Oh, my gosh. She survived by playing dead. Wow. Yeah. Approximately 15 rounds were fired. Ten shell casings were found at the scene of the first shooting. Five children, including the woman's, the woman's daughter, were there at the scene of the shooting. But oh they gosh. got away unharmed because of her efforts. Wow. Yeah. Investigators believe that Dalton's request for an Uber ride at the apartment complex had become botched. 
The requester had texted Dalton moments after the initial request with a correction of the address, which would have led him to another location in the same area. She later attempted to call him to follow up on the uh, address correction, but he did not respond. A witness later reported seeing an Equinox driving so aggressively towards the apartment, at one point cutting him off at a southbound curve and risking a head-on collision. He later recognized Dalton on the news as the Equinox's driver. At 6.05, approximately 20 uh, minutes after the first shooting happened, Dalton called the requester, saying that he hadn't responded to her text and that he could not do the ride because something had come up. Huh. Right. You would think, after that, and then the news being of a shooting, you'd put two and two together. And then you have the guy's phone number. There's just so many ways that this could have gone so differently. One minute after the shooting, Dalton's Equinox was seen driving through a red traffic light at an intersection about one mile away from the scene. It hit another vehicle and left the scene, with the driver calling 911 to report the crash. At approximately the same time, a neighbor found the injured woman, who was soon treated by responding emergency personnel. Later on, Dalton allegedly met with his wife and children at his parents' home in Comstock Township. He explained to his wife that the Equinox had been sideswiped by a disgruntled taxi driver in a Chevrolet Impala who fired a gunshot at him due to rage at having his business taken away by Uber. Okay. <laughs> right. It gets more strange. He then assured her that he called Uber and they were taking care of the incident. But then he also gave his wife a 9mm handgun, telling her it was not safe to be at the house without it. Uh, is that a Cardi, is it Cardi B? Or is it Nicki Minaj? That's like, that's it's Cardi B. weird. That's weird. That's, that's suspicious. suspicious. Right. Oh, and more. Telling her it was not safe to be at the house without it. He also instructed her not to go to work and not to take the kids to school. Dalton then tried to leave in the Hummer H3, but it wouldn't start. So he took the black Chevrolet HHR that his wife had been driving. As he left, he reportedly told his wife that he could not tell her what was going on, but that it would be on the news. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would be on the news. <laughs> what the heck? At that point, as a wife, where do you step in? I mean, I don't want to blame her, obviously, because it's not. It's probably where I, 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 you know, check with the news, check with the police, because <laughs> something weird is going on. Just take. Yeah, if you're seeing it. things on the news, the vehicles all banged up. That might line up. He says it. Yeah, he says a cab driver shot but it. But now you're hearing about an equinox on the news. But Uber is handling it. Right. Yeah. At the point where he's like, it'll be in the news. It'd be like, okay, I got to find out what's going on. <laughs> right. Exactly. After leaving, Dalton withdrew money from an automated teller machine, or ATM, at 6.44 p.m. Then, after driving around for 35 minutes, he allegedly returned to his house and changed guns. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> Still swapsies? It, what? Why? <laughs> He does that a lot, and it's really weird. He left again at 7.37 p.m. and continued taking Uber requests, which he worked without incident. None of the passengers he took noticed anything unusual or alarming about him. And at 8.26 p.m., Dalton called his wife and told her not to call her parents. So many flags. Why? Just so many flags. <laughs> yeah. At 10.01 p.m., he arrived at a Kia dealership in Kalamazoo. According to a witness, after parking his car, Dalton approached her boyfriend and his father at 10.05 p.m. and asked them what they were looking at. Just walk up on somebody. What are you looking at? Huh. Psycho. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it make, yeah, it makes no sense. Before they could respond, he fired around 18 rounds, fatally hitting both males. Other witnesses in a Burger King parking, uh, parking lot across the street recorded the shooter fleeing, and one called 911 about a minute after the shots were fired. Approximately 10 minutes later, a third shooting occurred 
outside a Cracker Barrel restaurant in Texas Township, located about five minutes or five miles from the Kia dealership. Four people seated inside two vehicles were killed, and one other person was wounded. Dalton reportedly approached one victim inside a white van, asked her a question, and then shot her before shooting into a neighboring vehicle, which contained the other victims. This shooting took about one minute before he fled. He was alleged, uh, alleged to have returned home and relo- reloaded his gun there. Just keep going back home. Swap guns. Reload. Like, what? Like, why aren't you bringing... Like, you would think, if he plans on continuing this. Yeah. It's so weird. I, yeah, I don't understand. So weird. After officers responding to the scene of the Kia dealership shooting heard reports of the gunfire at Cracker Barrel, they realized there might be a mobile um, active shooter. Interviewing witnesses, police learned the gunman was driving a dark-colored Chevy HHR using newly installed security footage from the Kilo dealership. Police put out a description of the gunman over the radio. The Kalamazoo Department of Public Safety issued a statement to the public on its Facebook page. You, Why Facebook, of all places? Like, <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people are on it. I, guess, I don't know. You would think the news, though, but yeah. Warning residents to be on the lookout for the shooter and his vehicle. Numerous traffic stops of vehicles matching the description of Dalton's were also conducted. Multiple reports of gunfire at several locations, including the Western Michigan University campus, were also investigated, but ultimately determined to be false. Which is weird, because he he was at... Like, as I go further into this, he was at the WMU campus before getting caught. Yeah. So if there was gunfire there, how is it fault? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's all strange. Yeah. As police continued the manhunt, Dalton reportedly continued to accept Uber rides. At 12.04 a.m. on February 21st, he picked up three people and dropped them off at a dormitory on the WMU campus. The passengers later recalled that their driver wasn't overly friendly, but did nothing to alarm them. Later at 12.12 a.m., Dalton picked up four people and drove them to their hotel. During the ride, one passenger, who had been hearing reports of the shooting spree, jokingly asked Dalton, Are you the shooter? Dalton plainly replied, No. Right. Could you imagine later finding out that the person he asked that question to was the shooter and could have just like, could have killed you right there a few minutes How? later <sighs> insane that's got to mess with you yeah a few minutes later he picked up another three people and just like the previous ride a passenger asked if he was the shooter <laughs> again <laughs> people just asking you killing people bro maybe like, <laughs> like if your ride is showing up with a description of a vehicle that's been shooting people, maybe skip that Uber. <laughs> Don't get in and you call the police. Just idea. Uh, Just an idea. It's insane. <laughs> the passenger asked if he was a shooter. Was the shooter, which Dalton passionately denied. At twelve thirty-six a.m., a police sergeant with the Kalamazoo County Sheriff's Office noticed Dalton dropping off the three passengers, followed him. And requested backup. He was joined by a KDPS officer, and the two conducted a traffic stop at 12.40 a.m. When additional officers arrived, the first two pulled Dalton out of his vehicle and arrested him. At the time of his arrest, Dalton was wearing the jacket he had pur- purchased from the gun store, along with a bulletproof vest. Uh, okay. <laughs> Just happened to have one of those yeah. laying around, huh? <laughs> yeah. And he had told police that he bought the vest for his son, who was an explorer for the Kalamazoo Sheriff's Office. But his kids were 10 and 15. Yeah. Because your kid needs that bulletproof vest. Right. Uh, (laughs) I just can't wrap my head around this. Yeah. They also found a handgun at the back of his waistband. Police believe none of the victims at the separate scenes were connected. 
and at least 30 rounds were reported to have been fired during the shootings. Wow. On February 22nd, 2016, Dalton was arraigned on 16 charges, including six counts of murder, two counts of assault with intent to commit murder, and eight counts of using a firearm during the commission of a felony. He was to reappear in court on March 10th for a preliminary examination hearing. On March 3rd, he was ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation to determine his competence to stand trial. Again, similarities. He reappeared in court on April 22nd, where it was ruled by the Michigan Center for Forensic Psychiatry that he was found competent to stand trial. I am going to demolish this name. Eusebio Soli, Solis, a former Calhoun County Sheriff Assistant Prosecutor and a former Calhoun County Com Commissioner, was appointed to represent Dalton in court. Dalton appeared on May 20th for a preliminary hearing to determine if there was enough evidence to try him on the charges. Yeah. Why wouldn't there be? Like, you have the guns, bro. What? Yeah. And the vehicle and just... <laughs> Two vehicles. Right. During the hearing, Dalton made a verbal outburst and interrupted Tiana Carruthers, the first victim attacked in the shootings, while she was testifying. I remember this on the news. He reportedly made somewhat indecipherable statements and caused Carruthers to cry, forcing a recess to be called. So he, like, started out, like, had an outburst and started, like, yelling a bunch of random things at her while she was trying to testify against him. Like, causing her to, like, break down and have, like, obviously an anxiety attack because the man who just tried to kill you is right there yelling at you. Like, who yeah. wouldn't? I would lose it, too. Well, for sure. Dalton was restrained and removed from the courtroom by sheriff's deputies. The hearing continued later in the day, with Dalton participating via video from jail. Rightly so. <laughs> Then you can just put them on mute and not have to listen. Bingo. On June 6th, following a pretrial conference, Dalton's attorneys announced their plans to present a legal insanity defense for their client. He underwent a, psych a psychiatric evaluation conducted by the Michigan Center for Forensic Psychiatry in Saline, a process that was carried out over the next 60 days. His trial was tentatively expected to start in late September or early October. A status conference was tentatively set for August 15th. On August 12th, the conference was postponed to September 30th, with the Kalamazoo County Chief Assistant Prosecutor saying that the evaluation had not yet been finished. On that day, the conference was delayed again because Dalton's psychological report was not yet finished. How? Like... This isn't something to just jerk around with. Get to it, asshats. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I get that probably <clears throat> it makes could me take so mad. some time. But yeah, you want to hurry that along, probably. And like, we're talking about months. Like, this has gone on months. You should have, should have something by then. Yeah. A June 13th, 2017 trial date was set. This trial date was later delayed. Jury selection was later scheduled to start January 3rd, 2019. So now we're going years. That is a long period of time. As I blink between... angrily. <laughs> yeah. Like, was that yeah. like a six month from June to January? Well, we're talking from May, April, May, because these all happened in uh, February or it's his Trials and uh, arraignments started in February of 2016. Then all this psychiatric stuff. Now we're talking 2019. Huh. Someone's just sitting on their hands not doing shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> like. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. With opening statements being scheduled to start January 7th, 2019. On January 7th, 2019, Dalton just pleaded guilty to all, all accounts against him. Apparently he was over it. You could have done that forever <laughs> ago. <laughs> like, listen, motherfucker. Yeah. You're just jerking around for this, this amount of time. Letting 
people waste all this effort or non-effort when he, he never planned to go through with that anyways. He didn't agree with his attorney's basis of not being mentally competent. So he just went ahead and just, I did it. Wow. Yeah, could have saved a lot of time and money just to do that from the start. But okay. Yeah. On February 5th, 2019, Dalton was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Dalton is currently imprisoned in the Oaks Correctional Facility. I do have some stuff on his victims here. The first victims that were killed were Tyler D. Smith, 17, and his father, Richard E. Smith, 53, who were both killed at the Kia car dealership. Four women, Mary Jo Nye, 60, Mary Lou Nye, 62, Dorothy Brown, 74, and Barbara Hawthorne, 68, were killed at the Cracker Barrel. All four women were friends, and Mary Jo Nye and Mary Lou Nye were sisters-in-law. Abigail Kopf, 14, suffered several injuries at the Cracker Barrel, including a gunshot wound to the head. A 14-year-old. Yeah. He didn't care about age. Everything from 14 to 74. She suffered, yes, several injuries at the Cracker Barrel, including the gunshot wound to the head. At the time of her shooting, she was accompanying victim Barbara Hawthorne, a close friend uh, whom she called her grandmother. Yeah, she was initially reported dead, but later confirmed to have been uh, to have survived. Oh, wow. As of February 23rd, she remained on a ventilator and in critical condition, though she was breathing on her own by February 28th and was able to open her eyes by March 3rd. Kopf was discharged from Bronson Methodist Hospital on March 8th and transferred to the Mary Freebed Rehabilitation Hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Her skull was damaged during the Cracker Barrel shooting, and she underwent surgery at Bronson Methodist Hospital to replace the missing portion of her skull. 14-year-old. That's like... That hurts. Yeah. She had to undergo surgery again due to an infection induced by her previous surgery. Kopf was discharged on July 26th and allowed to return home, but had to undergo surgery yet again on August 17th due to a a related skin infection. The surgery was successfully completed two days later. Tiana Carruthers, 25, was the first victim to be shot in the shootings, being shot four times in the left arm, legs, and back, but survived. Her shooting occurred in the parking lot of an apartment in Richland Township. Her, Her arm had to be surgically reconstructed as a result of the shooting. In August of 2016, she underwent two further surgeries on her legs due to a medical setback. Wow. Glad the bastard's in jail, but shit, man. Yeah. Makes me so mad. Yeah. That's amazing she survived that. Yeah. And the 14-year-old. Jesus. Yeah. But ha- something happening at that young of an age, too. It affects those of us adults. You know, like, if that happens to, like... You or me, that would, like, mess with us mentally. But imagine for a mm-hmm. 14-year-old having to, like, remember that and PTSD and issues that she's got to deal with now for the rest of her life. That'd That's be awful. Horrific. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well. <laughs> do, we need, do we have any good news? The only thing I have to talk about is pickles. <laughs> Well, um, my son's COVID test came back today. Yeah. And it's negative. Boop, boop. Yay. So that means we're good in this household. But we had to, according to his pediatrician's office, on the day that he got tested, Monday, they said we had to remain isolated for five days, no matter the results. Oh. Because his father was positive. And because he had contact with him a week ago, we had to stay home no matter what. But (laughs) the funny thing is you're going to laugh at this, okay? I know it's funny to laugh after all of this. Kind of need to pick me up. School tomorrow, 
is getting out anyways at 12.30. I got the notification from the school. They're letting kids out at 12.30 tomorrow. And no school on Friday. Do you know why? COVID? <laughs> no, there's a winter advisory. Oh. Oh, is that the... A, like, a winter the storm warning. A new one. A new one, right? Because that one was last week. There's a new one where we're supposed to get one to three inches. Oh, no. That is so much snow. How will you guys survive it? How will we survive one to three inches, Laura? That's just too much snow. That's way too much. I mean, yeah, they don't have the salt trucks and the plow trucks. But well, so, I don't I don't foresee this <laughs> sticking anyways. What will you so, like do? When I tell you I know this area and I'm telling you, it's not likely to stick. The last time we had That's snow, like last week when it snowed, when we had our winter advisory, I'm for those who can't see, I'm using like air quotes, aggressive air quotes, aggressive air quotes. <laughs> it was a mixture of rain and snow at the same time. The roads clear, everything shut down. Like I, I, I was driving and I was looking and it was like rain on the road. Not, the roads were not slippery. Nothing was icing over because it was too warm to ice over. That's They're why there was a mix down there. of rain and snow. Everybody, like nobody was on the road. And I'm driving like going normal speeds. Like, where is everybody? Oh, you got to stay <laughs> home in that. Oh, no. What are they going to do? <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. Everyone was so scared. Uh, so scared. But yeah, I messaged you the other day because I made those ranch pickles from TikTok where you just put the ranch dressing powder mix into the jar of pickles and you let them sit. And mm -hmm. at first, and it's funny because I told you, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I like these or not. But I went from, like, not eating, like, my average pickle consumption, less than one a day. Like, it was pretty, it was, like, one a week, maybe. But I've eaten at least one pickle a day since I made them. So, I guess I liked them. <laughs> but I added a little bit of cayenne pepper and some of those dried chili flakes also, just to make them a little bit spicier. I've let them sit longer, so yeah, I, I think I like them, but I'm still in that weird face of like, do I or do I not? But I keep eating them, so I guess I like <laughs> But if, I guess if you like ranch and you like pickles and you would like them together, then it's ranch pickles. There you go. And the funny thing is, is now that we've been isolated, my son has come to the realization Oh, the internet connection was unstable. We were like. Talking at the same time. Can you hear me? Yeah. The funny thing is, is with us being isolated, my son has come to the realization that we can have food delivered now. Oh. He didn't know that could be a thing before. <laughs> because I always went to the store or I always went to go get everything. And now he just asks. For delivery every day. <laughs> That's funny. Like I'm at work. Like I'm in my office working. And I hear delivery. Please. <laughs> and I come out on my break. I come I come out of my office on my break. And I hear breadsticks delivery please. Pizza. Uh. I'm like. Alright let me pull up the app kid. Please delivery. <laughs> yes hon let me let me pull up pizza hut for you real quick so we had pizza hut for dinner because my son begged for delivery gosh i wish we could get delivery That's in funny. my house that'd be so nice some days especially when it's you know snowing out or it's cold and you don't feel like going outside that's when it would be really nice to just place an order and have it brought to me yeah pizza hut's like less than two miles away same with domino's oh, wow. we're in the city 
So, like, everything we have, we have, like, within a three-mile radius, I got Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin'. You got to get that real northern. We got Dunkin'. We got Starbucks. We got Walmart. Pizza Hut. Domino's. Like, multiple gas stations. Everything's right within a three-mile radius. So, it's like, I don't have to go far, which is nice. If I want Publix, which is the better grocery store, I gotta drive like 15 minutes. But, ooh, 15 minutes is gonna hurt me. <laughs> I feel but, deprived some days. Yeah, it's nice. We we have Chipotle right there by Domino's, which I've had that a couple of times. Yeah, Chipotle's good. It's good. I I haven't decided if I like it like yet. Like I'm so I'm I'm so trying to get behind the hype. Like I wanna I wanna feel involved in this hype train for Chipotle. Like the little kid, I love Chipotle. But I just don't know if I like it yet. <laughs> it's like my it's a good go to for burrito. If you just want like a quick thrown together what you want on it kind of thing I don't think I've ever gotten anything other than a burrito from Chipotle to be honest I think I tried a bowl once I can count on one hand the amount of times I've gotten Chipotle I did just have Taco Bell the other day same (laughs) yeah the burrito from Taco Bell and then some cinnamon twist because it had been forever and I was like ah okay here's a craving I didn't know I was going to (laughs) have Yeah, we have that close by, too. It's crazy. It's weird from living in the country in Michigan to living in the city of North Carolina, where it's, like, not the safest. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I live in Kazoo, man. It's like I live in Kazoo. The Kalamazoo of North Carolina where I'm at. I mean, yeah, at your old job, one of the chefs was murdered. So. Yeah. Oh, and I will say, um, when I first moved here, originally in 2011, the Walmart that I worked at cl- is made to close at midnight. It, every other Walmart is 24 hours. But the state closes this one down at midnight. Because there are too many stabbings and shootings and drug deals in the parking lot. (laughs) A guy that I worked with was in his car on his break. And a couple cars over, there was a shooting over a parking space. Uh And he was like trying to eat his meal. (laughs) Hiding in his car. Wow. I mean, I kind of live in it too. Like, it's not... It's not, it's, oh, it's not the safest. It's really not. <laughs> oh. But I will say, so, like, something podcast related. When I did work at that Walmart, I worked in the electronics department, which was conjoined with the photo department. And legally, the police are definitely, definitely, definitely not supposed to get their photos done from crime scenes at Walmart. Oh, no. But they did. And when you use the photo center and you put in your SD card to print your photos, that stuff gets saved in the system, you know? Yeah. And we can just pull up the computer and see what photos were printed that day. That was a lot of blood all over children's toys. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, no, because a woman, I think it was a woman had killed her husband or the exact opposite. I can't remember. And there was splatter all over the children's toys. Apparently more in-depth photos that I did not see. I walked away. Wow. I said, I do not. <laughs> I like, I, 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 I'm into this kind of stuff, but I'm not. Please no. <laughs> This is too real and too close to home, and I need to walk away. Yeah. 
It's one thing to read about it. It's a whole other thing to see crime scene photos. Like in-depth crime scene photos, apparently. How are you doing that at a Walmart Supercenter, bruh? There's got to be a legality, like, against that. Yeah. Or maybe, like, hey, once you print these, make sure you go in and delete those from your system. Thanks. Right. Ugh. Heebie-jeebies. Yeah. <sighs> On that note. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. And uh, watch out for the crazies. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. The music titled Teller of the Tales was provided by Kevin McLeod and can be found at incomptech.filmmusic.io.